On today's Priority Q, we discuss the idea of NSX everywhere. VMware NSX is not a new topic on Packet Pushers. We've been covering NSX back when Nasira was a startup and kept up with its evolution over the years. The last show we did with VMware was on NSX in production, Priority Q show number 56. And if you want to catch up with where NSX is at, you might want to listen to that show before you listen to this one. So this show, an evolution of the NSX story, bringing up the notion of using NSX everywhere. And this is new in the sense that we've thought of NSX really as a data center play focused on its strength as a centrally managed network overlay useful for network virtualization, micro-segmentation, centrally managed firewall services, and so on. So if we're moving the conversation to NSX everywhere, that means to me that maybe something's changed a little bit. I am Ethan Banks, and joining me is Greg Farrow, and this is the Priority Q, one of several fine IT podcasts you can find at PacketPushers.net. And joining us on the Priority Q today is Guido Appenzeller of VMware, our sponsor today, to discuss what it is that is moving the NSX ball forward. Guido, welcome to the Packet Pushers Priority Q, and would you please introduce yourself to the audience? Hey, Morgan, Ethan, uh, Morgan, Greg. Uh, Guido Appenzeller, CTSO. Uh, that's Chief Technology Strategy Officer for um, Networking and Security at VMware. I've uh, been a startup guy for most of my life. You know, came to the West Coast for my PhD and then succumbed to the bad habit that students have here of starting companies. Uh, did two of them, uh, Voltage Security and uh, Big Switch Networks, and went back to Stanford uh, to teach and research uh, for a year in between and uh, ran the OpenFlow project there. Uh, super happy to be here today. Well, thanks for coming on board. And, and I got to mention this one little thing. We were talking before the show, and you mentioned that you're a gamer and you're actually talking on a gaming headset right now. W- what kind of games are you into? It's changed over the years. At the moment, it's Witcher. Uh, great game and great, great storytelling. Uh, wasn't to World of Warcraft fairly competitively for a while, but uh, you know, it was gold capped at some point. So, yeah, you know, it all depends. It's, I don't watch TV, um, uh, I, I play games instead. Ah, okay. <laughs> you get a lot of time in your life when you're not watching television. Yeah, that's funny. Here we go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> now, Guido, you mentioned that you, uh, you, you were uh, working with Big Switch Networks as a startup, and it's been about a year since you left there to, uh, to join VMware. So what, what has that year been like? What's kept you occupied? It's been a great journey. I mean, you know, the, the, for me... I think soft-defined networking, I have a very personal relationship to it because, you know, we, we sort of started this trend, you know, between Nasura and, and the work we did at Stanford University with the OpenFlow project. Then I started Big Switch in 2010, was there for four years. Uh, you know, then we decided to upgrade our CEO. Uh, I was CEO for four years, and then we brought in Doug Murray, who's CEO now, doing a great job there. And uh, Dio Martin gave me a call, and, and I, I joined VMware. And uh, so it's, it's really sort of continuing the same revolution that, that started back, what is it now, six, seven years ago. It's been an incredible ride, right? If, when, when I joined VMware, uh, we had about 250 customers. So I think the last number we had announced then, at this point, we have 900. So we almost quadrupled in, in the past year. And that's, that's been, a, a, you know, so this amount of growth in terms of growing the organization, having more customers, having larger deployments, having more challenging use cases, uh, it's been a fantastic experience, right? There's been so much talk and, and hype about SDN. Hmm. We're now really at a point where you have these large enterprises that are, that are betting the farm on the technology and they're doing great things with the things that, that constantly surprise me as well. So, you know, so we're, we're sort of building the space shuttle here as it takes off, right? That's, it's, it's a fantastic experience. I love growth and uh, uh, there's a lot of it here. Well, it's funny, you, you actually segued right into my next question because I would 
say that there's a lot of people who are sick of hearing about SDN because there's too much marketing and not enough meat. And yet you're saying you're seeing a bunch of customers begin to uh, pick it up and run with it and even even bet the company on it. So what is it you're seeing with customers who are committing to SDN that's making it real? Why are they actually getting into SDN, NFV, and so on? You know, I totally echo that. I mean, if, if you look back, right, uh, SDN got a lot of attention, a lot of hype very early on, right? The whole concept is maybe from, I think the word was coined in 2009, right, by, by some reporter from, uh, Kate Green from MIT Tech Review. She wrote about the stuff we're doing at Stanford and called it SDN. And you know, a year later, it was, it was front page material. And, you know, the technology was, was nowhere ready yet at that time, right? It was, mm. was very, very early stage. And so, you know, we've seen a lot of slight It's work. never been a problem in Silicon Valley, though. Well, <laughs> it's never, it, you know. It hasn't stopped us from from building companies and raising funding, and that's all a good thing. But still, you know, you yeah. you all the deployments were still smaller pilots and and uh, you know sort of yes. trial deployments, or maybe a few large ones. But but uh, yeah, look, I mean, the, the ratio of slideware to to actual production deployments, I'd say from 2010 to maybe 2013 or so, that, that was pretty uh, pretty much on the slideware side, right? And that really, I think, really changed in in 2014 and 2015. It's it's actually pretty interesting now. If I talk to, for example, a large bank in the United States, it's often no longer a conversation about software defined versus hardware defined. But it's really a conversation about, okay, so we're probably going to have software defined somewhere in our data center. We understand this. Explain to us how, right? You know, how, how does this work? What does it mean? That, what does the product actually do? What are the benefits? Uh, how to operationalize that? You know, how to debug this? What does it mean for my team, for my people, and so on? So it's, it's a much more constructive discussion, right? I mean, the, the other thing from my side that's been amazing to see is just the, uh, you know, what our customers are doing with it and the scale. You know, I mean, we have, we have customers now with, with over 100,000 virtual machines in a uh, you know running on top of NSX and and so this 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 massive scale comes with a whole new set of problems. Right? We had we had a customer on stage at VMworld um, who was talking about one of the problems they're tackling with NSX was internal IP space exhaustion. I mean, you would think like internally can can run as many IP addresses as you want, but usually you go with a slash eight, right? They were saying, basically saying, look, that's, uh, <laughs> that's not that many IP addresses at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. So we're using netting, you know, to to hide some of our uh, container deployments in this case. So it's it's you know it's it's great to see people deploying this at scale and and uh, you know uh, running their business on top of it. It's, it's been incredibly rewarding for me. Now VMworld was Barcelona was just held right, and uh, there was a NSX six two right. update, which I know that wasn't a big update, but have you been getting any feedback from customers on that particularly? Two things we showed in, in Barcelona. I mean, the main focus was on NSX six two was which was a probably very operational up, uh, update. You know, it had many. It didn't have any sort of very snazzy features, but it had a lot of things that if you actually run this in production are really important for you, right? you know, around sort of, uh, you know, this, this multi vCenter support and these things, right? That, that they don't seem that exciting, but, but again, if, if, you, if you're running this at scale, this is actually very, very useful, right? And I think it's just a sign of the, the product maturing. Uh, we also had a couple of things like container support and, and support for Amazon that we, that we previewed that I think were actually pretty cool <laughs> that I'm very excited about. Okay, so dive into one of the things you're really excited about because you left me hanging. I'm really excited <laughs> about and chuckled and then nothing. <laughs> so tell me about the Amazon support, maybe. If I look at where we're going with uh, NSX, right? I mean, we are, we're currently, we have a great solution for providing virtual networking inside your data center, right? For basically being able to create this, the way I think about it, layer of virtual infrastructure. So many of the constructs you used to have in hardware, like switches, routers, firewalls, load balancers, right? Which used to require you to buy a new box if you wanted to get new functionality. Now you can basically instantiate in software, right? 
that, that's the, the very simple idea, right? So we were taking things from the hardware domain and moving them in, in, into the software domain. And, uh, you know, this, this works great for both sort of the, the, the classic ESX stack as well as for open source stacks. And I think probably by any metric, we're, we're the, the most widely deployed solution for, like, for example, KVM OpenStack environments as well. We have some, some huge deployments there. The, the interesting thing is, you know, if, if you're an, a CIO that used to be pretty much your entire enterprise data center, but that's changing, right? You, it's, life is getting a lot more complicated. You're sort of seeing, at the very least, two transitions happen at the same time. I and mean, one thing is that your, your developers are going from sort of classic second-generation apps to third-generation apps, right? So if you're starting to build apps a little bit more like, like Google does them, right? They're scale-out, they're distributed, um, you know, you, you build... Uh, uh, failover and, and redundancy into the app itself, right? So you can kill a server and, and it comes back mm. up and nothing is lost. You're trying to make You're it talking stateless. About this, it's very different now, isn't it? Because we used to have applications where once every two years they'd ship us a CD and then we'd upgrade the app, like Microsoft SQL Server or, you know, SAP or whatever it was. And now we're getting into an environment where the developers are in-house deploying every day. That's the third generation. The first generation was the CD we ship, and then the middle generation was where we had platforms everywhere. That's the sort of gap we're talking about? Yeah, that's it. But I think that's true. This also comes with a different way of architecting the apps. And so as a result of that, the infrastructure used to deploy these apps is changing, right? So moving from you know VMs to things that look more like containers, right? Where basically it's not enough to spin up a single compute instance somewhere, but you want to spin up many of them and, and sort of correlate across them, right? And, and so, for, for example, how many servers you're running it becomes an integral part of the app itself. Does that make sense? So yeah, 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 what you're saying, because yeah. you can software configure your network, because NSX is software configurable, the actual deployment of the app can include configuration of the network itself. Exactly. And it's not even specific to the network, but it's the same for compute and storage, right? So, so I'm, I'm... Sorry, if yes. I, yeah. if, if, if I'm a developer, right, so, so the, the, the first step in, like... You know, a real third-generation app. The first step is really to to build the code that provisions my own virtual infrastructure, right? That basically says, "Look, I'm one of this many apps, uh, web, this this many web servers, this many app servers, and this many database servers, right? And mm-hmm. maybe some of these scale up up and down depending on how much traffic I see, right? So it's a it's a very different thing from your cli- classic client server where you know I know exactly uh, you know how many hosts yep. I'm running on up front, right? And <laughs> I so have with- fifty web servers, regardless of how many are being used. Exactly. It's just a question, Which, yeah. Because and once a year, I have a peak event, so I have enough web servers to handle the peak event. Yeah, exactly. And and uh, that seems like a really bad idea in retrospect, right? <laughs> and today we can do a, a lot better. Well, so, it's a bad idea. Now we can do something better. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And you know, the, so it seems like containers are basically uh, have emerged as a tool of choice to do this, right? Containers together with container schedulers, and it's something I'm very excited about, right? This this layered packaging of apps together with this sort of more dynamic scheduling and sort of more granular scheduling of, of workloads, is, I think, has a lot of potential, and and uh, you know, I think a good a good chunk of of apps in the future will run and will be deployed that way, right? It'll take a little bit of time just because you have to change skill sets. And, uh, mm. you know, from my perspective, at least technology is easy. You know, changing, changing people's skill sets yeah. is actually much, much harder. I think the key thing about containers is to understand that, you know, 10 years ago we had servers and where they connected to the network, that was it. And that was so the network only had to support, you know, Ethernet port to the switch to the server, that was the network. And then virtualization came along and enabled different types of apps to exist and created different opportunities. So now we could have, you know, VMs 
instead of having physical servers and we could start to move the 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 ES, you know, the, the compute around and that allowed the storage to change and the networking still was just VLANs. And now we've got this SDN and, when, and you know, and NSX is, is the leading part of that. But the next generation is containers changes the whole networking thing completely. You can't use VLANs. You need to be programming the network configuration at the same time that the container is created. Now, what that means is you're now going to have three very different types of application infrastructures that you need to support. And each one has a totally different or a different way of handling its network connections. And you need something that's going to span all three, or you're not going to be able to support them in your data center. But you are going to need to support them in your data center. That's exactly right, right? I mean, you, you, you certainly have these these different architectures, and uh, they don't exist in isolation, right? They all talk to each other. You have to figure out how do you connect them. And so we, we had, a, had a really fun demo at the Emerald, uh, you know, where we showed, for example, how you can hack into Docker, basically. You know, and it, this isn't Docker's fault, right? We basically, uh, you know, we took a container, we introduced a little application-level vulnerability uh, into it, and then Scott Lowe, who you may know, uh, basically showed how he can, you know, hack into a first container and then basically jump from container to container because you don't have proper network isolation. So does NSX actually play in this space now with Docker networking, where you can take the micro-segmentation model and extend it into containers? Yeah, exactly. Um, so that's what we then showed next. Uh, you, know, you figured out the punchline here. <laughs> <laughs> the, you know, we basically put NSX underneath and then showed how you can put a container in a microsegment. And so suddenly you can see, you know, we have a stateful firewall. We can see all the connections going in and out of the container. We can block ports that we don't want to. We can see, uh, you know, what other containers is this talking to, right? You can put in simple rules that basically say, look, if one container is talking to another container on port 22, frankly, that should never happen, right? If that happens, raise an alert and, uh, uh, you know, our instant response team can look at it. The first thing they're probably going to do is take that container and map it uh, on a, like a quarantine network or something like that, or a you know, monitoring network where you have some sniffers, where you have a honeypot to see if this container is trying to attack other hosts. And uh, basically, you can now take all of this infrastructure you build up in your data center to keep your data center secure. You can now leverage that for containers as well. Okay, so I, I've talked to folks in the past about some of the details about how NSX handles traffic routing in between virtual machines and so on. Is there something special VMware had to do to integrate and get in between Docker containers, or is it the same Linux kernel bit that's been there right along? We're using Open vSwitch in both cases, right? The, the big difference is actually you now need two levels of vSwitches. And uh, so let me ex explain this. So normally we have a vSwitch running in the hypervisor, right? And at least in the, how we see, see enterprises run containers is that they're running the containers inside a virtual machine, right? So the first time I saw that, my reaction was like, okay, clearly these guys are not getting it, right? <laughs> the whole point about containers is you no longer need VMs. So why, why do you put a, a hypervisor underneath, right? And now it turns out that the basic argument here is security, right? If you don't have a hypervisor underneath, if somebody breaks into a container, they can move laterally, right? I, have, I find a root escalation, for example. I can just take over the entire container host, and I can break into other containers, then hop into the next app, right? Uh, I may be able to, uh, you know, insert myself in the BIOS, or I can sniff packets. So you typically don't want to have, you know, any kind of easily vulnerable workload like a, like a container. And it's easily vulnerable just because it's administered by the developer, right? You don't want that to run directly on hardware if you can avoid it. Mm -hmm. So they, they typically put these, these uh, basically put a container host inside a VM, and it could just be one, right? Or it could be multiple. But, but maybe there's just one single VM running on the host, but they're basically just using the, the hypervisor here as a hardware provisioning tool. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. You know, just to get mm -hmm. the, the bits of the container host onto the onto the hardware um, and then protect the hardware. So we have one virtual switch inside the hypervisor, but then we have a second virtual switch inside the container host because we want to have visibility if one container talks to another container. Does that make sense? Yeah, so, so far we, so good. Because the containers can be contained inside a single VM or they could potentially be contained inside many VMs. 
Correct. So you've not just got to have the container. So a lot of people think, oh, just have a container and then it's in a VM or it's on a physical host. But the point about containers is they could be instantiated anywhere in the physical infrastructure. (laughs) And you need to be able to bridge not just the containers, but also the VM configuration as well, actually, as as well as the entire network itself. Exactly. The, the other important bit is that there's different trust levels here, right? So if I compromise a container, compromising the whole container host, it's comparatively easy if you compare it to if I hack into a VM, compromising the hypervisor. Does that make sense? Yeah. Breaking out of a container requires me to, for example, find a privilege escalation in the Linux kernel. And uh, you know, if you look at it, how many of those do you see a year, right? You know, depending how your kernel is configured, probably it's in the twenties or so, right? So it's it's a, it's a yeah. fair number, right? Not um, negligible. Not, not at all, right? And and I mean, for for twenty vulnerabilities being, if you're a bank, right? If you're a high profile target, being ahead of the patch cycle, like so, patching quickly enough so somebody who already is probably has broken to container already is busy waiting for an opportunity, you have to patch quicker than they can uh, find an exploit to, to escalate, right? That's actually pretty hard. So if you compare it to, to hypervisors, you know, I don't recall when the last hypervisor compromise was on VMware, but I don't think there was in the last two years. So it's, it's, it's a much, much rare event. We have at least one, if not two orders of magnitude between the two. And that's, that's why people, I think, are just trusting hypervisors a lot more. And you know, I think there's actually a good sort of fundamental argument why that is the case. Because at the end of the day, security depends a lot on the tech surface. Right? If, I, if I give you one function mm. call to secure, you'll manage, right? You'll have <laughs> code reviews and, and, and you know, penetration testing, and eventually you'll be like, okay, you know, this thing is now secure. If I give you 2,000 APIs, it's much, much harder. Right, and the uh, you know Linux kernel just has a lot more attack surface, has a lot more methods you can call compared mm-hmm. to a hypervisor. But really, all you can do is you can jump into a driver and try to to exploit a driver bug. Yeah, that's right. Containers are not inherently more secure than VMs. In VMs, the operating system is the attack surface. So if you put one service per VM, that's your limit of your attack service. But a container could have hundreds of containers, each running a different app, and your attack service is much more varied, much more um, too, unstructured. Yeah. That's that's actually right, yeah, because the containers run different workloads. Yeah, you, you have a lot more. So, I mean, the net-net the is, if I think containers are an incredibly powerful tool, but basically the vSwitch inside a container host, from, from, from our point of view, from the NSX point of view, has a different trust level than a vSwitch running into a, inside of a hypervisor. Does that make sense? Because of this fact that you can have containers instantiated for seconds or tens of seconds is the normal thing. And they could run anything. So you need to have a much different security posture to be able to adapt to that. So yes, that does make sense to me. So, yeah, so because basically, you know, if, if I break into a container, I could take over the hypervisor switch and then do all kinds of things, right? And, and so, so basically, we, the big structural change for, for us as VMware for container networking is that suddenly we're dealing with multiple levels of vSwitches <laughs> with different <laughs> trust properties, right? That, that requires a little bit of changes, but I think they're on the roadmap at this point. So this, uh, we're pretty excited about what's, what's coming there. Well, that, that's actually a good segue into the rest of this NSX Everywhere conversation. We kind of got ahead of ourselves. We started talking about container networking. But uh, my understanding is uh, VMworld Barcelona, you were on stage with Martin and talking about this idea of NSX Everywhere. You you introduced it. And so let, let's define that. I mean, to, to me, as I said in the intro, I've always thought of NSX in the data center context. What do you guys mean when you say everywhere? Where else are we going? And containers we've mentioned, what else? Let me talk about that a little bit. So, you know, NSX Everywhere, it sounds like the, the, the perfect, uh, you know, marketing type headline, but there's, there's actually some deeper thought here, right? The If you think about networking, right? Networking used to be getting you know a packet from one server in your data center to another 
survey in your data center. And honestly, if today all you needed to do as a networking team is provide L3 connectivity between end hosts, your job would be really easy, right? But where all the complexity comes in is around security, compliance, how you have to segment this, you know, quality of service, um, basically authenticating, you know, endpoints, figuring out, you know, what workloads they should run, and and you know, basically how your your application level connectivity, application level networks map back to to your networking endpoints. Does that make sense? Completely agree. Yeah, and it goes right back to the first statement you made. If the network engineer's job was simply to for to deliver layer three connectivity, life would be a whole lot simpler if you could push the rest off elsewhere. Yeah. Right. It's, it would be easy packet pushing, so to speak, right? <laughs> yeah. If you look at uh, you know your enterprise today, your enterprise used to be just your enterprise data center, and then you had a campus network, right? You could put both behind a firewall, and, and life was relatively easy, right? And then many things happened at the same time, but, but if you look at sort of enterprise networking today, really, if you're CIO, right, your top-of-mind issues are no longer around... Uh, you know, sort of data center endpoints and campus endpoints. It's uh, you, you suddenly have lots of, of new types of endpoints coming in. I mean, you have you know VMs and containers that's still both on premise, so that that is quite manageable. But then you have uh, you know things are moving to the public cloud, right? Where again, getting the L3 packet there is easy, but but how do I make sure I have this a consistent security posture? Between my local data center and, and things I have in the cloud, right? If if, if it's uh, you know audit time, how can I show that that my say PCI workloads that are running on Amazon are just as secure as the as the PCI workloads that run in my data center? That's an incredibly hard problem, very, very practically, right? For an IT team, you know, you have all the different kinds of user endpoints, right? It used to be you have a desktop uh, on your campus network. Those days are long gone, right? You know, have mobile devices that come in via wireless. They may be more or less trusted. You have, you know, bring your own device where people are using their iPhones uh, and they want to use that to uh, connect back to your your enterprise network. You know, you have virtual desktops. You know, the Internet of Things is coming. You suddenly have all these different endpoints where you don't, often don't even control the, the physical layers that they use to connect, right? This is like you know a mobile device runs of all kinds of networks. I have, I have no idea how this is getting to the the edge of my enterprise, and so I think how networking is evolving is that really it's it's much much more about connecting endpoints, a very heterogeneous set of endpoints with each other uh, that are that are sort of becoming very disconnected from physical infrastructure underneath, right? Where in many cases the physical infrastructure is, is completely outside of your control. Yeah, someone could just kind of shake their head though and just say, yeah, you just described IPsec VPNs, so. <laughs> you know, to connect my endpoint in, I'm just going to throw a layer of security on it and tunnel them into something, and you know, check a security posture, and I'm and I'm done. What is so different here? Can you clarify that so people are getting it? Sure. And for, for some devices, just to use the secure transmission problem, that totally works, right? But for example, take uh, you know a workload you're running on Amazon, right? If I have two workloads on Amazon, they may talk to each other. Do I really and, and they want to do that at high bandwidth? Do I really want to tunnel both of them back to my enterprise? Uh, you know, and and for example, if I do I want to do any firewalling between them? Uh, have locally, uh, you know, in my enterprise network a firewall? I mean, the, the performance will be horrible, right? I'd, I'd have massively more latency, and and you know, probably the north-south bandwidth would mean they have less bandwidth as well. So the other thing is, let's take a mobile device, right? It's actually, you're completely right, right? For securing the traffic from the mobile device to the edge of the data center, I can just use a, a VPSEC tunnel. Uh, at that point, nobody can look into the into the packet stream anymore. But that's only half of the problem, right? So, for example, maybe this is my... Uh, you know, uh, SAP administrator's uh, mobile device, and they want to do maintenance on my SAP system. So somehow I want to take this traffic and I'll plumb it deeply inside of my data center. Now, in theory, I can do this by taking the traffic, mapping it to a VLAN, and then, you know, stringing that VLAN to go to a particular 
uh, backend system. But that's kind of hard to configure and, and difficult to do in a very dynamic way, right? So, you know, ideally, I'd like to be able to say, look, I have if, if somebody here is, for example, on an approved device and, uh, you know, in a particular Active Directory group, then I can take all this traffic and plumb it to a, a, the following list of machines, which may actually be on completely different virtual network segments. Mm -hmm. But of course, there's no way in a modern network to say this end node belongs to this Active Directory, belongs to this with this user on it, and using this application. That with existing networking te technology, we don't have that capability because the so, abstraction is complete or com total. Yeah, exactly. I think that has to change, right? I mean, so this idea of of describing networking purely in terms of IP addresses, I think today's time just doesn't make a whole lot of sense anymore, right? I mean, the, the, if you think about it, right, the logic I want to express at the, the top level is I want to say application A can talk to application B, right? And how do I actually do this? Well, application A consists of a number of virtual machine images, right? They each run on one or several instances. Each instance, you know, has uh, one or several IP interfaces, and then each, each interface has one or several IP addresses. And then I'm taking all these IP addresses at the bottom and trying to define rules, based on them, right? Several levels of uh, indirection from what I'm really trying to say here, right? <laughs> if, if, mm. I, if, I'm, if, if I'm an IT professional, versus what I actually write down, right? And that makes it really, really hard and complicated. So you said, just going back to the, the everywhere notion, you mentioned virtual machines, virtual desktops, containers we talked about, uh, mobile devices, or uh, public cloud, uh, including Amazon kind of services. You didn't say like a campus or a WAN environment. And what about traditional workstations like my laptop or uh, you know my, my old classic workstation? Do those fit into this scheme too? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, long term, very often, like in a, in a campus network today, you have some kind of authentication mechanism for the end client, you know, to your to your campus network. You have some way of of identifying the user who's logged into that machine right now, and you want to express uh, you know, sort of network policy based on that. Right? To give you a great example, how this can look like, like uh, the folks at VMware, our end user computing folks, right? They actually now. They have an, an integration with NSX, and you can actually. What, what we see some customers do is that they basically tag their their internal their the virtual machines with the application. So, for example, I would say all my SAP systems get a tag SAP Server, okay, in in, in virtual center. And um, on the other side, uh, you know, I have an adact, Active Directory with a group SAP administrators. And so today, you can actually define rules uh, with, with NSX that basically say, if there's a VDI instance where the user logged into the VDI instance is in the SAP administrators group, allow access to any host that is, has the tag SAP server. There's many cases where this won't work, but the few cases you have now where can really express this, this high-level, sort of application-level logic and use that to define network policy. And I think this is really the direction that we, that we need to go into. Well, there's a co the correlation you just described is between active directory objects and you know, the, the user, the, the token that's been ascribed to a particular user workstation and then that application that is a virtual machine flowing through uh, you know, a hypervisor and an NSX instance that can see all of that. You know, as opposed to, it's not, like I'm participating in the overlay from my Mac workstation and I'm sending overlaid packets that are participating in the NSX virtual network in, in that sense. Do you, do you see the distinction I'm making? Is that, am I right? Well, defined directly here, right? I mean, the, the, how this works is that basically our end-user computing folks, they have, a, they have basically a secure tunnel, right? And, uh, and then basically we can, NSX picks up uh, at the tunnel interface. So this is this is not all NSX. This is an integration between two products, but I think the result is almost the same. Okay, so you said there is actually tunneling happening from the endpoint. Uh, so VMware has a has a product called uh, AirWatch, 
which basically allows you to manage mobile devices, right? So you can check, uh, you know, wh- where is your mobile device? Does it is it patched properly? You know, does it is it locked down? Right? Is the password long enough? And so on. And uh, we integrate with that with that solution. So basically, you know. The, the the traffic coming from these devices gets fed into NSX, and then you can define policy on what this traffic is allowed to do or not allowed to do. I mean, where we're going here is to basically say, look, a, a mobile device that you're controlling through your IT infrastructure in your data center, right, is is another endpoint, just like a virtual machine in your data center, or just like a uh, you know VDI desktop, or just like a like a desktop, um, you know, in your in your on, on campus network. I mean, that, that's that's of the direction we're going. Does that make sense? Yeah, I'm following you. And and I think that you know the major point here, the bigger point is the one you you are making about policy where you again, it's so easy as a network engineer to think of everything in terms of IP addresses when in fact the associates that we're making are describing the by IP addresses isn't even interesting anymore and a lot of times isn't even accurate because what the the associations that we care about are at that higher level. And so what you're describing is is an evolution of managing network security and network connectivity in a way that functions at that, you know, again, that higher level. I'm waving my arms around. I look very silly. Uh, <laughs> but but again, you're, you're saying, okay, so for endpoints that are managed under AirWatch, we can define a certain set of policies there and what these things can, can have access to. Combine that with you know, NSX policies and the policy language that's used there to describe which elements in an NSX uh, virtual network can talk to one another. And now we've got a higher level policy that we've described that associates endpoints with uh, those objects in the NSX world. But we didn't use IP addresses to describe those things necessarily. Exactly, and you know, frankly, using IP addresses seems like a terrible idea here because they, you know, they on DHCP they change IP addresses all the time. They may run through a NAT, right? So, so there's not much we can do at an IP level. If it's uh, IPv6, yeah. they may have more than one IP address assigned. Yeah, here we go. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and actually, there's one last thing, which is the, the fact that today you need to change your firewall rules if you re-IP. Systems it just doesn't make sense, right? I mean, you want to system A can't talk talk to system B. This should be independent of how they address each other, right? I mean, if if they use IPv4, IPv6, I shouldn't care. If they you know change IP addresses, I shouldn't care. If they go from a layer two to a layer three model, I, I shouldn't care. It's just that uh, once I define they, should, they they can't talk to each other, so this should just be enforced, and should, you know the infrastructure should take care of of making sure this is the case. It shouldn't be my job as an as an IT person to to think through well how are the underlying layers actually mapping this and then what do I have to fiddle around with there? And that's especially important with containers where the output might be dynamically created in sec- in less than a second. Like I've heard stories of containers taking 350 milliseconds to spawn. If you're going to allocate an IP address to a container, which is not necessarily convention today, but that's where we're headed, you've got to be able to create a firewall rule at the same speed that a container is if that's the way you're going to work. Yeah, absolutely. And that's not <laughs> creating a firewall rule in less than a second, that's not Straight, that's not going to happen anytime in the next decade because firewalls can't do that. They're not built to have firewall rules change, you know, measured in terms of thousand per minute. I, I completely agree, right? I mean, in my experience, there's at least still many enterprises left where putting a new firewall rule, you know, you, you put it in the next maintenance window in, in testing mode, and then a week later, your next maintenance window, you put it in, in production mode, right? And, and so with containers. Every, every Thursday night at six o'clock, there's a firewall push. Exactly. And so with a container that lives 250 milliseconds, that's not going to work, right? <laughs> that's right. Guido, you mentioned a second ago the fact that a lot of this policy lives lives above, you know, it's 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 above the, the physical network, which is one of the criticisms that overlay networking in general has been dealing with. Well, if something's broken in my overlay network, I 
don't have a good way to troubleshoot it because there's not a tight correlation between this overlay and the physical underlay that's uh, that's beneath it all. How, how do you, how does VMware think about that problem? I know it's something that's come up uh, quite a bit. And then to put a you know, even a finer point on it, does white box switching or open networking engage you guys at all as far as that problem goes, correlating overlay and underlay? Uh, sure. So I mean, first of all, I'm I'm clearly biased on the white box switching part, but but let's get that into that in a, in a <laughs> yeah. second. This is a topic I'm hearing a lot. You know, it often comes up. In a, in a competitive, you know, sort of scenario, because you know, one of the competitors is like, oh, you know, you, you shouldn't do overlays because overlays are bad. You you don't know. You now have to manage two networks, one one on top of the other, and it's like, how does that really make your problem easier, right? If you now have two networks instead of one, you do have two vendors pointing fingers at each other and so on. So there's that narrative, right? If I, I look, I've got an answer for that. My favorite one is to say, you do realize that IP is actually uh, an overlay over Ethernet. <laughs> That's actually a good one. And it's like, and they go. Oh yeah, you know, well, provided they actually know what the difference. Yeah, that's uh, I haven't heard that one yet. So, so the yeah. the interesting thing is, you know, just as much as the IP versus TCP uh, versus Ethernet overlay argument comes up, I don't hear this from customers a lot, right? So if if you actually look cust- at customers that are in production, you know, the plenty of complexity in a in a large NSX deployment, you know, and we have our occasional escalation. That's typically I can't recall anyone that I was personally involved in where basically the the issue was around how do we debug the underlay. Right. And there's there's a couple of reasons for this. I mean, the, the first one is the sort of physical networks that people run NSX on top are typically structured in a fairly simple way. Right. The the mistake that many people make is they they compare the complexity of the traditional enterprise network with the complexity of the network that you run under NSX. Right. And that's just not true. Right. In in a, in a, in a classical enterprise network, I have lots of VLANs, I have complex routing, I have lots of services that are sitting there, you know, firewalls and so on. While the the underlays that people put under NSX tend to be much much simpler. Right, you know, something like a like a simple uh, ECMP fabric, you know, with a handful of VLANs, make it five or so, right? And then a couple of edge cases, you know, in in, in one rack where they where they have the physical infrastructure, right? And so these mm-hmm. the physical networks underneath are much simpler and therefore much much easier to debug. So that's that's the first point, right? The the second thing is that the we now at this point have a have a good set of tools um, uh, in uh, NSX, and I'm sure if, if Bruce mentioned it, or he did, did a great demo, uh, you know, to, for example, together with Arista on, on how you can integrate physical and, and virtual and uh, gain some more visibility there. So you know, in practice, in practice, I just haven't seen this come up uh, a whole lot. So the reason I raised the question about uh, white box was, you know, do you see would VMware want to get in on the open networking movement and perhaps work with the open networking operating systems that might be deployed on a white box infrastructure uh, to to provide a tighter coupling? Um, which it sounds like maybe not really because you're not seeing the customer drive to push you in that direction. Well, look, I, I think we still want to do that, right? It, it's not. Again, when, when I, I spend a lot of time in the field, I talk to a lot of customers. This is not a, a top of mind issue I hear from customers. You know, that being said, and with a little bit of personal bias here, you know, I'm I'm super excited about bare metal switching and the uh, sort of the uh, sort of this new openness and and switch operating systems. I mean, you, you may have seen we recently had um, you know announcement together with the Open Switch guys about HP's effort in the space. There's obviously Open Networking Linux, you know, with um, with Big Switch that we're supporting as well. In general. We like more choice for our customers at the hardware level, right? And having software which is open, where you know long term you could see, for example, us installing an agent on it that provides additional functionality is something that's very, very exciting. It's I think nothing we want to do in the short term there, right? The short term 
we'll provide the overlay. We'll work with with partners that provide uh, underlay solutions. But uh, I think you're completely right. There's a lot of opportunity there. Once you have a more open platform um, to you know talk about agents, you can put in there to talk about APIs. Mm. You can put on there that that could, you know, I think really long term. And this is more of a two years plus thing, right? So it's not something that that you'll find on our roadmap in the, in the near future. But the really long term, I would love to see a solution where you have a single pane of glass um, where you could administer both the physical network and the virtual network. Like you, I think the open the thing about open operating systems is today they're all different. Whereas most networking operating systems we get from the vendors today, they're all identical. They all have the same features and the same functions and there's a kitchen sink full of capabilities. All of the open operating systems actually are differentiated. They all have a different attack way of a coming at the at the network operating system and there is different value in each one and it is worth spending some time to understand the difference between cumulus and open network linux and open what's the hp one called i've forgotten it's like a really open switch just yeah open not open v switch but open switch just to make sure we didn't yeah. confuse it Yes. So they're all uniquely different. They all attack the operating system, the network operating system problem from a different point of view. And there is something unique in each one. Yeah, no, no, I, I agree. Uh, but look, what do you expect in an early market, right? I mean, you have uh, you have different management models, you have different approaches. And I think over time, we'll see which one customers like the, the most and, 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 and actually uh, uh, adopt and I think it's all goodness, right? Seeing creativity there, seeing 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 lots of options that are getting tried out. Uh, I'm actually excited about this. I mean, I think I think it's great. I want to go back to public cloud for a minute. You had talked about Amazon integration with NSX. What does that actually look like? I mean, is there something I got to install? Uh, am I extending uh, a VXLAN overlay all the way into the cloud in some way? What, what, what are you actually doing there? Before answering that question directly, let me actually pop up one level. I just try to explain what we're doing at the high level, right? I mean, it's a very short thing. At the end of the day, we want to make, um, I, like long term, we want to make any workload in any public cloud a first-class citizen NSX, right? So I can basically, I can tie this into my networks. I can do, uh, you know, uh, have all the features in NSX, meaning, you know, stateful firewalling and automation and overlays and so on. Uh, I want to be able to use them with, with any of these endpoints. And that's so, so Guido, just to qualify, are we talking about uh, I'm running everything up in the Amazon cloud or that I'm running some things up in the Amazon cloud and I've got some things in my data center and I'm combining those two together in one unified NSX system? Our goal really is to support both at the end of the day, right? It's going to be a while before enterprises... Uh, have a hundred percent the public cloud, at least the the larger ones. And you know, I think the there's actually an interesting thing that the, even the definition of your own data center versus uh, cloud data center is, is changing a little bit. But you know, the net net here is from our perspective that we see customers moving workloads into the public cloud, and uh, that's uh, you know that's that's great. There's you know many you know can go you can be in any geography you want. You can provision uh, capacity on demand. Right? There's lots of really good features. And if our customers go somewhere, we want to follow them. So you know we will provide. NSX integration for workloads, you know, long term on any cloud that they run on, and uh, you know, we'll, we'll obviously we have vCloud Air our own. It'll always be our first love, right? But uh, you know, Amazon is obviously you know the the gorilla in the space, and uh, you know, we what we showed at VMworld was how we support them as well, right? And so at the technical level, which is I think what you were asking, correct? Yes. So at the technical level, basically how this works is that we have an agent inside the Amazon instance that when you deploy and an instance on Amazon, you can pick an AMI that has this agent pre-installed. You know, or you take an existing instance and and you know drop an RPM into it. And basically, this agent, when it wakes up, phones home, 
gets mapped via policy onto the right virtual network segment. And then basically NSX can drive the packet flow of, uh, of all okay. the packets egressing this, this instance, right? And it can connect instances directly because, you know, if you have two workloads on Amazon, they talk directly to each other. You typically don't want them to go through enterprise network, right? That, that'd be crazy. You can, uh, but for example, you may want to have certain backend traffic that goes to your internal database. You might want to plumb it into a particular uh, network uh, inside of your data center. You know, you may want to egress actually data from Amazon um, you want to may, may want to egress the connections through your enterprise edge, just because that's where you have all your firewalling, data loss prevention, and intrusion uh, prevention systems, and so on, um, that are already running for a security perspective. We basically want to give you all the options there, right? So it, it it works just like it would inside the data center. Fundamentally, you've got some kind of plumbing that already exists between your data center and the Amazon cloud, whatever it is that you've put in, and NSX just rides on top. And now it's dealing with Amazon workloads and stitching them together with, as you were describing, whatever sort of a service chain you might require for inspection, et cetera. If it happens to run all the way back through your data center, you can do that. It's not uh, you know, especially complex to make that happen. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. That's, that's exactly the idea, right? We, we, we want to provide plumbing the same way the same way we provide plumbing on top of your physical network and your, your physical data center in the future, we provide the same plumbing on top of Amazon's network you know, in an Amazon cloud. So, Guido, with an NSX Everywhere strategy, which is what we've been talking about here, moving NSX into all these different venues, uh, does the licensing strategy change? Is there anything that uh, your customers would would need to know as far as licensing goes? Uh, you know, it's 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 still early. Um, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna pass on that question here. I think we haven't figured that one out yet. Uh, we'll, we'll figure out something that works. <laughs> okay, fair enough. <laughs> And then, and then uh, I guess if that question was too early, perhaps this one is also too early. But I'll ask it anyway. I mean, is do you see uh, operationally that people that are using NSX things are going to change for them um, as we begin thinking about NSX everywhere? If if you're running IT, things are changing operationally for you right now, right? Because the the a lot of the focus is shifting from your your classic on-premise data center which used to run in your basement right towards uh, a mix of uh, maybe still some servers in your basement but more and more of them either running on top of your own infrastructure you know in, a, in an equinox uh, uh, colo or, or something like that you know close to an exchange point some of it running on public clouds some of mobile devices and so on so so the way how you run it really changes because you, you, you're you're no longer in control uh, specifically networking, right? It was, you're no longer in control of your physical networking hardware for the majority of traffic in the future. That's my prediction, right? Because it's going, um, you have so many different endpoints that, that are just, uh, where the infrastructure is provided by somebody else. And I think what we're trying to do is we're just trying to be there uh, with you for the journey, right? If, if in the future, you know, your, your, your endpoints include on-premise VMs, on-premise containers, uh, you know, off-premise containers and clouds, uh, other types of cloud workloads, you know, could, could they mobile devices, you know, the Internet of Things, uh, your, your, your desktop users, your VDI users and so on. We just want to say, look, NSX is there to provide connectivity uh, between all of these different endpoints. And, and you know, that was sort of a, a big breakthrough for me personally. I think at, at this VM, well, it was the first time where we really had, uh, you know, for most of these endpoints, we actually had live demonstrations of how this works and, and how this plugs together. And I'm, I'm very excited about uh, where this is going. 
Let me finish this off then with one final question, and I'm going to lead this in with a little story. I was in a class over the last couple of weeks, and I got to talk to several of the people that were in there, and one of the folks I was talking to was a CTO of a small bank, and he mentioned it is very difficult to change operationally because my people know what they know. If they don't know something new, it's very hard for us to bring it in the door and operationalize it. Uh, and I said, well, what would make that easier? And he says, training. We need training. We need someone that can show us this new networking stuff and make it happen. Other than that, we're going to fall back with what we know, which might be Cisco or whatever, fill in the blank with an incumbent vendor that's been doing business with them for years. Um, so what's the what's the training story from uh, from VMware? How do you get folks into an NSX world? Yeah, I mean, first of all, whoever said that, he's completely right, right? I mean, the, I think the the... The human changes here are just as challenging, if not more challenging, than the technical changes. For, for me, technology always looks easier, right? Changing organizations and changing behavior is much, much harder. The like At the same time, I personally think, look, this is the golden age of networking, right? If, if you look at what happened with server administration in the 2000s, right, where we went from a completely manual process to configure a server, where you would, you know, I was doing it back then. You would take a, a terminal, you would, you would log into a server, you know, uh, and, and you would, you know, take a CD and insert it and set up a server it would take you take me hours to get a Linux host up and running, right? That has completely changed today where we have automation, we have scripting, you know, I can fire up a new virtual machine typically with a couple of clicks in a, in a matter of minutes, right? I think we're now at a point where the same thing is going to happen in networking, where we can automate, where we can script, where we can do a little bit of DevOps, right? And, and that's fantastic for all of us. I mean, this is the golden age of, of uh, network administration. If you're a network administrator, you have to learn a little bit of new skills, but if you do, there's a wealth of opportunity in front of here. It is really exciting. If anybody's worried about losing their job because of this, this is the opposite is true, right? It's, it's you, You're getting more powerful, not not less. But you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, the, the training is required. We actually have great training programs for, for NSX. Um, you know, there's a lot of interest from the, the user community. We now have some some specific training if you already have like a some kind of advanced network certification like a CCIE. You know, we have some specific training from you there. And you know the, the numbers are, are are rising exponentially of the people taking it. So it's um uh, look, if if there's one call to action here, you know that's actually a great one. Uh, you know, get get involved, uh, try this out, and and look the, the for with any new technology. What I like to do the first thing is get my hands dirty and really understand what it is, and and I can highly recommend that. Well, Guido, this has been a great conversation. And uh, Greg, did we get you back? You sure did. All right, because your internet faded <laughs> out there. Uh, your your quality yeah, DSL I'm service. Still living. I am still living on the lands of internet savagery where every now and then the natives attack and I lose connectivity. <laughs> it is a challenge. <laughs> Did you have any parting thoughts on NSX are everywhere? Oh, I think it's important to see that NSX started off in the data center and now they're extending it to more applications in the data center. So originally it was just a VMware thing and then it became, you know, even though it started from the OpenStack world and then came to VMware... I think VMware is now pushing it more into the, you know, we bridge from VMware, ESX to vRealize to OpenStack to AWS. That's the first step. So if you want to think about hybrid clouds about, and for whatever definition of hybrid cloud you want to think about, NSX wants to have a networking solution for you for all those. So whether it's, you know, a private cloud solution, private cloud, in the vCloud Air, whatever it is, it's all going to work, right? The second part, of course, is as new technologies come along, like containers, NSX wants to make sure that they've got a solution for that. So whatever you're, if you're platform-minded, what I mean by platform-minded is if you think your network is one thing and you have to have one strategy to embrace all of the network, then NSX has 
a range of capabilities to be able to address that over time. Now, it's still early days and SDN and products like NSX are still emergent and Guido pointed that out several times. NSX has that width of functionality that might be attractive to your business. You might think, I want to go with just one vendor for one technology, then NSX is going to be one of those technologies which is going to be, as the title says, on the tin everywhere. Hmm. Uh, one of the big things that stuck out to me as we were chatting was just the notion of uh, of policy and getting away from IP addresses and, and so on. And we've been reading some emergent uh, literature about that and some research that's going on with things like name-based networking and so on, where we're beginning to really do away with this notion of IP addresses as how you're governing uh, network traffic and connecting endpoints together and uh, and seeing things happen at a higher level, which makes all the sense in the world that that's where the future is going to be and all the kerfuffle we're in about IPv6 having hard addresses and there's so many of them and, and you're not even <laughs> going to see it. No one's going to care. It's just going to be a transport mm. layer that's way down underneath you know, for the most part. So, uh, Guido, uh, back to you. How can people follow you on the internet? I mean, are any blogs that you write, Twitter handles, uh, maybe books that you've uh, authored, anything like that that you'd care to share? Uh, sure. Uh, Twitter, A-P-P-E-N-Z. And uh, we also got a uh, got a couple of blogs. We have a network heresy. I'm occasionally posting. You know, it's it's sort of our more more techy blog at uh, VMware. Right, I've seen that. Now that's is that officially a, a VMware blog, uh, network heresy, or I just I thought that was kind of you guys off to the side. Well, defined officially, no, it's it's not an official VMware blog, obviously. Um, but it's uh, you know, there's a couple of us uh, from VMware hanging out and posting there. If you look at it, you know, at least a, a good subset of the posts are from us. And if if you know, there's the there's the the corporate marketing part and then there's the there's the more techy oriented uh, things and those go on um, uh, on network heresy typically yep got it and it also talks a lot about open technologies that aren't necessarily vmware centric so they're not necessarily within the vmware walls they're open so so a lot of open vswitch ovs congress type stuff there absolutely and actually, if you've, if you've never read Network Heresy, it's worth just going back in time and reading it all. There's several articles in there. I've been reading it for a few years now, and they're just gold. They're, uh, they're, they're throwing down a very new way of thinking about networking, which is, I guess, the, the point of the title. It's like, this isn't the way we've been thinking about networking at all. It's heresy. It's and, absolute and yeah, heresy. Yeah, exactly. That's the whole point. So. And, you know, and by the way, too, I, I think I'm not sure if everybody realizes that. So opens, selling into the open source ecosystem like KVM, right? That's a pretty substantial and, and I think very important part of VMware's business, actually. Uh, NSX's business, right? It, it's kind of funny because VMware at this point is a large company and obviously, uh, you know, you can see how um, at the hypervisor level there can be competition sometimes from, from the NSBU's point of view, right? You know, all, all VMs are created equal and, and we want to support whatever you have out there, right? We, we, we're not going to tell you uh, what, what you should use. We just want to... Uh, Push the packets and uh, and uh, you know make sure you have connectivity and uh, and it's actually we looked at some recent statistics. If I recall the number correctly, I think it was about twenty percent of our deployments have OpenStack on top. Yeah, which is uh, and, and and it's it's a pretty large number. Hmm. It is a brave new world out there, uh, for sure. Well, I am Ethan Banks. You can follow me at EC Banks uh, on Twitter. This has been the Packet Pushers podcast, which you can follow at Packet Pushers. Uh, Greg is at Ethereal Mind and EtherealMind.com. And hey, everyone, thank you for listening to Packet Pushers today. You can find this and many more fine, free technical podcasts along with our community blog at PacketPushers.net. You can also find us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and rate us on iTunes if you would, please. And thank you once again to VMware for sponsoring this show today. 
on the Priority Queue channel. And last but not least, remember that too much networking would never be enough.